I was telling the first service, this is really weird, because usually when I'm up here leading worship, the lights are down, and I can't really see you guys too well. Now you're all right there, and you're all looking at me. Well, uh, we'll get through it, right? Praise God. I'm excited. I think God has some good stuff for us this morning. And when I was asked to speak, I thought, well, you know, what, what do I speak on? One thing is, some of you here I don't really know. We're growing so fast, and, and I thought, well, okay, this will be a little bit of a get-to-know-Larry session this morning. In some ways, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of my spiritual journey, take a few stops along the way, some things that um, maybe I've struggled with or questioned or learned along the way here. Uh, and there's three specific things that I want to talk about this morning. I've titled this thing, Believe, Seek, and Dream. And they're just kind of three things that I think as Christians we really need to understand how to, what does it mean to believe in God and how do we seek Him and, and how do we see ourselves from His perspective. First of all, believe. How many of you have heard verses saying, uh, believe and you'll be saved? Sure. Or because of your belief or your faith you were healed or because of your unbelief you weren't or whatever. So believing is pretty important, right? Believing is where it's at. So I thought, okay, I believe in God. We all believe in God here, right? We're good. Let's go home. <laughs> then I stumble across verses like the one in James that says, and this is very, my very loose translation, so you say you believe in one God. Good for you. So do all the, the, the devil and all of his demons. In fact, they believe so much that they tremble in fear at his name. Well, wait a minute. So are they saved? Or am I not? Is believing not enough? So we need to dig in. The question is, what does it really mean to believe in God? So we're going to look at that. Uh, secondly, seek. Okay, we figure out what it means to believe in God. Well, then we're supposed to seek Him and seek His will, right? How do we do that and what does that look like? And that question is, can we know God's specific will for our lives? We'll dig into that a little bit. And then the dream portion of it is, like I mentioned We've got to stop seeing ourselves from our perspective and start seeing ourselves from God's perspective, amen? He's, he's got big dreams for us. So we'll dig into that a little bit. Uh, before we do, let's pray again and ask God to speak to us. Hallelujah. Lord God, I'm just so thankful for your word and for your Holy Spirit and that you give us both to guide us and direct us and speak to us and and that, God, as we seek you and dig in and just try with our finite minds to understand you as such an awesome God, that you give us, give us your guidance, Lord. And I just pray this morning you would open our hearts and open our minds to see the things you want us to, to see. Lord, that you would nudge us in the direction you want us to go. Uh, we just surrender ourselves to you for this time and just to your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would make me a uh, an open and worthy vessel to share what you have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So a little bit about me. I grew up in central Minnesota, a little tiny town, little farm town with less than a thousand people and probably about 10 million cows, I suppose. Uh, obviously a farm town. Very heavily Catholic area. I don't know if you know much about central Minnesota small towns. It's basically you have to have two things to constitute a town, a Catholic church and a bar, or two or three, and that's a town. You know, some of them you drive through and you go, whoa, what was that? Oh, there was a church and there was a bar. It must be a town. All right. They're pretty small. 
Uh, the town I grew up in was a little bit bigger than that, but uh, still a very small rural, rural community. Our school was actually pretty large considering for the area because we took in kids from 20 miles around because it was just farmland. Uh, my graduating class was 120-something or whatever. And that was the biggest class there in a long time. So uh, for the area, not bad. But the thing is, there was in the entire school me and one other person that I know of that were not Catholic. So man, we were the odd ducks, no question. We went to had some weird religion and went to this church where they had crackers and grape juice for communion and wow, all this crazy stuff, you know. So it was it was really different growing up in that atmosphere. I grew up in a very very wonderful Pentecostal Christian family, kind of the opposite upbringing of Pastor Mike. He was kind of brought up, brought up in an atheistic home, and. In fact, my parents were very instrumental in starting the Assembly of God Church in Little Falls, Minnesota, and they still go there to this day. And in those days, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And they were all different, and you went to every one of them. No question. We lived over 30 minutes away from the church, but we were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night without fail. You could be sick, but I'm telling you, you had to be pretty much on your deathbed before you were going to miss church. That's just the way it was. There's five of us kids, and my mom and dad, and we'd all pile in the car and go there Sunday morning, go back Sunday night, go back Wednesday night. And the thing that I noticed with my parents is they weren't going because they felt they had to or it was an obligation or anything like that. They were going because they wanted to. And God was moving, and there was stuff happening, and lives being changed, and it was cool. But I looked around at all my friends in school and talked to them, and, and they all hated church. Oh, I've got to go to church. Oh, I've got to go to catechism tonight. Oh, i got to do this. You know, it was like, it, it kind of baffled me in a way because I was brought up so differently. And I looked at that and went, well, why go? But that we say you believe in God, but if you believe in God, then wouldn't you want to get to know him? And, and wouldn't this be a, an awesome thing? So that really got me thinking. They believe in God. I believe in God. What does that really mean? And even the adults, you know, I'd see them go to church Saturday night and then come out of church and half of them would go across the street to the bar and live a completely different lifestyle. Because, you know, being brought up in a Pentecostal home, you know, we didn't swear and use coarse language. We didn't drink. I mean, all these different things. And it was just a complete, probably a cultural difference thing. I want to make it very clear, I am certainly not bashing on any other denomination or religion or anything like that. I know... Many, many wonderful Catholic people who love Jesus and are serving him with all their heart. Uh, it's just, I think, maybe a cultural difference, and I'm just letting you know what I saw and kind of my thought process as I went through my spiritual journey growing up. Uh, and these are the things that really got me thinking. They believe in God, I believe in God. What's the difference? So, as I'm growing up and learning these things and studying the Bible and, and reading my Several verses I came across that I want to share with you that kind of really really got me thinking about this was uh, Acts 16, verses 29 through 34, first of all. And this is obviously when Paul and Silas were arrested and thrown in jail and, uh, you know, they're in stocks and, and uh, chained up in prison and they're praising and worshiping God, and the angels comes in and smashes the gates down and breaks their chains off and sets them free, and the jailer is scared for his life, literally, because if these prisoners got away, they would probably kill him for not doing his job. 
So let's pick it up here. It says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There it is. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So believing is pretty important. He came to believe God and wow, there it is. Believe and you'll be saved, they told him. And let's go to Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess and if you believe, you're going to be saved. So there it is, another one that says believe and you'll be saved. Okay. Believing is kind of where it's at. And then we get to that verse that I was talking about. Well, let's, let's go back here. Let's look at another one. Did we miss Mark 16? We did, didn't we? Let's look at Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? That's, you believe, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. And then I came to James 2.19. And it says this, Are there still some among you who hold that only believing is enough? Believing in one God? Well, remember that the demons believe this too, so strong that they tremble in terror. That's the one that tripped me up. You just told me that believing is enough. Believing you're saved, and then now you're telling me that the devil and the demons believe, and they're obviously not saved. So what do we do do here? And you know, it's so easy to look at one verse and get tripped up. And in fact, there's a lot of false prophets, if you will, and even well-meaning Christians who will do that. They'll take a verse and get all tripped up by that one verse because it's just a verse. I love hermeneutics. I love looking at, okay, what's the context of this verse within the chapter? What's the chapter talking about? What's the context of that within the book? And how does that book fit into history and what was the culture at the time? You've got to look at the whole thing. You can't just take one verse and be deceived by that. We don't have time to do all that today, but we are going to dig a little deeper. In most of these, really, all you need to do is read the next verse or two. It helps you understand it a little bit more. So let's go back. We're going to go back to, well, first of all, let's read the next verse here. Verse 20. So here's where it says, Are there some among you who believe that, hold that believing is enough? Remember that the, devil, the demons believe this too. So the next verse says, Fool, when will you ever learn that believing is useless without doing what God wants you to? Faith that does not result in good deeds is not real faith. So there's a bit of an explanation, right? There's believing. And then there's believing that results in something. So it kind of seems to be the theme. True belief results in something, right? If you really believe something, it's going to result in something. It's going to cause some sort of an action. So then let's go back again. Mark 16. We read verse 16, and now we're going to go all the way through 18. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Here we go. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and what? They'll get well. There will be visible evidence. There will be results. True faith results in something. There's got to be something there of substance uh, to truly believe. And then Romans 10, we read uh, verse 9, we'll go 9 through 13, the whole thing that if you confess uh, with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts him, him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the action? Calling on the name of the Lord. That's a result of the belief because if you really believe that God is God of all, he's all-powerful, almighty, all-loving, cares more about you, aren't you gonna naturally going to want to reach out to him and call on his name and get to know him? Man, we've got to get to know him. So it's the result of believing that, man, we've got to get to know this God, that you seek him and reach out to him. So what do we do if maybe you're sitting here going, that's a pretty strong belief. I'm not sure I'm there yet. Well, then we've got to seek him, right? I'm going to give a couple examples before we move on to that portion of it that kind of help drive this home, how belief results in something. Pastor Mike has used an example before of if you really believe something, it results in something. He talked about if there's a million dollars buried under our parking lot out here, would we tear it up? If we really believe it was there? Yes. It doesn't matter if it was underneath this church. We'd dig it up to do it. Here's, here's, here's a little addition to that. What if someone told us and we knew that there was a lottery ticket buried under this floor um, that might be worth a million dollars and might not. You got a one in a million shot at it. I think we dig up the floor just to get that and tear the church down or whatever. We don't really believe there's a million dollars. There might be. Now if we knew for sure there's a cache of a million dollars worth of gold underneath this church, eh, this thing's coming down or whatever we got to do, right? We're digging it up. Because if you know it's there, then you're going to do something about it. Here's another example that's a little bit touches home sometimes. Let's say that right up in this corner of the uh, building, we've got a great big hole in the floor. And it's miles deep, so be careful, Mike. You're right on the edge. <laughs> deep, deep hole here. And in the bottom, there's flames and the whole shot. And in this room are tons of people that you know and love very dearly. Maybe parents, maybe your kids, siblings, close friends. They're all blindfolded. And they're wandering around like this, trying to find their way. As they got close to that hole, what would you do? Whoa, stop, stop, stop. Of course you would. You'd try and stop them from falling in there, wouldn't you? I mean, of course you would, because you care about these people. So the question is, if you really believe that people that you love and care about are this close. One breath, one car accident, one heart attack away from slipping into an eternity without God. If you really believe that, wouldn't you do everything you could about it to stop it from happening? Whew, that's a tough one, isn't it? If you really, really, really believe it, you're going to do something about it. True belief brings about action. 
So what do we do? Do we start doing stuff to prove that we believe more? Well, that's backwards, isn't it? That's putting the cart before the horse. It doesn't say that. If you do enough, well, that'll prove that you believe. It says if you believe, truly believe, that will result in action. So how do we do that? How do we get to that point? The second part, like I was talking about, is seeking Him. We've got to learn how to seek God. And seek what? Seek His will. How do we do that? So as I was seeking this out and, and studying it, for a long time I was really hung up on that. I prayed, what's your will for me, God? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? Who do you want me to marry? What, what's your will? You know, we seek His will so much. As reading, I came along Romans 12, 2 one day, and it was pretty encouraging. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, perfect will. So we can know. It says so right there. We can know God's will. But what do we do to get there? starts with a transformation, transformation and renewing of our minds, not buying into worldly thinking and all the worldly things and getting hung up on all the stuff that's around us every day. That happens by spending time with Him, spending time in His presence and letting Him renew our minds and come into this new way of thinking so we get to know Him. And on that, I'll say this. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? You know, I'm supposed to pray and spend a lot of time with God and it's easy to get distracted and it's hard. How do I hear His voice? It's hard to hear His voice, isn't it, sometimes? But let's say that, you know, most of you don't really know me very well or don't know my voice, and so what if I called you up on the phone today and said, Hi, what would you say? Uh, You might be nice for a little bit and then you'd go, Who is this? Hopefully you won't say, stop, quit stalking me. No. <laughs> um, if we got to know each other really well, spent a few months getting to be friends and talked a lot on the phone and everything, and then I called you up and said, hi, you'd say, hey, Larry, how are you? Right? Because you'd recognize my voice. It's no different with God. It takes time. You've got to get to know his voice. It's hard to recognize his voice. And it's not like he makes, on purpose, makes it hard for us to get to know him or to seek him. But think about this. Our minds are so finite and small compared to how great God is. It is hard to understand and get to know God just by nature of who he is and who we are. So we, that's why we've got to dig in and seek and spend the time and, and get to know him. And that's how our minds will be transformed uh, and we'll move into that. So then I'm reading along one day and I read 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18. And I'm reading away and I says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I kept on reading. Whoa, whoa, wait, stop. What did that just say? For this is the God, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, so this is God's will. What is? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And I went, oh, well, I know that. That's just the basics, right? I, I want to know specifically, God, what do you want me to do? And God immediately brought to mind the parable of the talents. You know, if you're trusted with a little, you'll be trusted with more. You'll be trusted with more. And he kind of said, so you think this is the basics? Well, then get on it. I mean, if you gave a stockbroker 100 bucks and he lost it all, would you give him $10,000? No, why would you? If I can't be trusted with the basics, why would I be trusted with more? 
Start with what God says. This is my will for you. And hey, these aren't little things, are they? How many of us rejoice always? Are you always happy? Pray all the time. Just always being thankful in all circumstances. Man, that's, that's not easy. That's a life transformation, really. So even though these are the basics, pretty heavy duty. And if we start there and can be trusted with these things, then we get more. Then we get more. It's a process. Let's go to Philippians 4, 6 through 7 and see what that says for us. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, that's God's will for us too, right? And the more and more I started reading the scriptures, I'm like, there's all kinds of stuff telling me what God's will is for me. I better start with the things that are there and obvious and work on that and work up to something so I can be trusted with more. So, this next scripture, see if you can digest this. I was reading along and I hit Romans chapter 12, 6 through 16. And it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not or bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. All right, you got all that? We're good. We can go home. Whoa! Man, that's a lot of stuff. That's the will of God for you. It's right there. It's obvious. You know, the more and more I look at it, everywhere in the Scriptures where it talks about what God's will is for us, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Isn't that right? God is more interested in who you are. You know, I think he's way less concerned about the specifics of where we work and all that than we think. We're hung up on those things too much. He's more concerned about with who you are and how you do what you do. If you're going to serve, serve, he says. If you're going to do this, do it. If you're going to prophesy, do it. Great. But take on his character and let him do the work. That's the will of God is for you to be like him in whatever you do. Uh, so if we just don't get hung up on all these other things and start with the basics, which are very challenging, then you'll be trusted with more and trusted with more. So the third part of this dream. So, okay, so we figured out what it means to believe in God. If you really believe, man, there's going to be results. How do we get there if we're not there? We seek him and get to know him, and then it's going to happen, man. His... If you're just becoming like him, don't you think it's going to happen? Don't worry about all this other stuff. His character flows through you. He's going to start using you and you're going to minister and it's going to happen. The third part being dream. Boy, we limit ourselves, don't we? 
We get so hung up on, boy, did you ever say, I wish I could do more. I wish I could be like Pastor Mike and really minister. Boy, that'd be great. Well, you can't, and neither can he. That's what it's, that's what it's about, but he can. Amen? You can't be limited by, oh, I'm not capable. I, oh, man, there's nothing I can do. You need to stop looking at it that way. You've got to look at God's vision for you. What does he say? He says, I have plans to prosper you and to... Yeah, in fact, let's read it. Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He's got great plans, but that's how we've got to do it. We've got to seek him. We've got to dig in. And they're there. And let him do it, man. Let him. And then, who, who will do the work? He will, not us, right? Look at Moses. Look at his situation. When God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, what did he say at the burning bush? Who, me? Well, I can't do this. I don't know, it's believed he either had a speech impediment or at the very least he was just very insecure about his speaking ability. He says, God, I can't talk to people. I know how he feels. Here I am. <laughs> God was patient with him and said, okay, get your brother. He'll do the talking for now, but you are going to be a leader and I'm going to use you to do great things. And finally, he just surrendered and look what God did through him. Great, great, great things. Look at Paul and Silas in their situation. They were where? In prison. You think your life's in a pretty bad spot right now? You're not sitting in there, and prisons back then were not like prisons today. But God did what? Took that and smashed those gates down and turned it around and made it into something wonderful and glorious. So you think that your situation, maybe you're in a, you might be in the midst of tragedy right now. You might be in the midst of a really tough spot. You think God can't take that and flip that around and make it into something beautiful? He is all-powerful, almighty God. And look at the things he's done and we say, oh, I can't because of my circumstance or my situation. Not true. He can. He can break through. Um, let's look at Ephesians three fourteen through 20. One more verse. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, and this is uh, his last prayer for the church of Ephesians, saying, this is what I wish for you, this is what I pray for you. Uh, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through whose spirit? His spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know his, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be fulfilled to the measure, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, not yours, not mine, that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. He's more than capable. Here's my thought. If you're bored with your life right now, you're probably not moving right in the will of God. That's not boring, is it? Oh man, he wants to do such great things through you. If you're 
depressed, stressed out, full of anxiety, you're probably not walking in the will of God. He wants you to be rejoicing always, praying continually, thankful in all circumstances, walking in His Spirit, and He's more than able to do that. I would like to end, I'm going to read the, um, the lyrics to a song, actually, that, that I wrote more than 25 years ago when I was running from God, actually. And it's kind of funny because I wrote it to prove that it's nothing to do with God. God doesn't exist. I've got this ability to write this thing and it'll be all emotional and people will be crying and get saved and all this. And you know how God does. He goes. <laughs> Slapped me across the face and made me realize that, boy, it's all him. And uh, used the own words that supposedly I wrote to bring myself back to him. And that's kind of a, another story maybe we'll get into sometime. But the song is called Changed Life and I think it kind of sums up true belief brings about change. It's going to affect, it's going to change something. It's, and, and, uh, and, and we need to be open to that and let God do that. It goes, I see so many people who don't know where they're going. They come to church every week, but it ain't showing. They go on home and they're still the same. Tell me, what's the purpose of this crazy game? What's between us and that lady on the street? What's going to happen if we never ever meet? So many people will stay tattered and torn. He calls our, we call ourselves so different, but he calls us unborn, without changed life. He's calling all man to live a changed life. It's in the master's plan. Do you really care? Are you going to share his love and make a change? Verse 2 says, do you really believe this stuff? It's almost noon that preacher's said enough. It's time to go on with our selfish lives. Go on home, relax, forget the millions who die without Changed life. He's calling all man to live a changed life. It's in the master's plan. Do you really care? And are you going to share his love and make a change? Now I can fool you and you can fool me, but we can't fool the Father, no, because he can see. If your heart is on fire or if you're cold as ice, if you're genuine or if you're just being nice, without changed life, he's calling all man to live a changed life. It's in the master's plan. Do you really care? Are you going to share his love and make a change? If we're not affecting the world around us, we're not living in the will of God. And that's my prayers. I will get a hold of that and say, God, what do you want to do with me? Praise God. Let's, uh, we're going to take communion this morning, but let's have a word of prayer, and then Pastor Mike will come and have communion. Oh, God, I just thank you for your power, for your Holy Spirit, for the big dreams that you have for each and every single one of us. I thank you, Jesus, for everyone here that if it was just one of us, you would have come to earth, you would have died and sacrificed yourself for every single one of us individually, Lord God. Help us to see ourselves in that, from that perspective, from your perspective, and see that you love us and care for us and want so much more for us and, and to walk into that, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.